This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everybody. My guest today is David Leeds. He is the t- founder and CEO of a company called Tango Card. He was also co-founder and senior vice president of sales and strategy at Fiber Tower. He's on the board of Mighty Oaks Heart Foundation and a prior board member at Summer Search. He's a father of two and Sounders FC fan <laughs> fanatic, I think is what he was saying. David, thank you. are you ready to take us to the top? Yes, thank you very much. What was that last part, father of two and, and what? Uh, it's probably father of two. I have two sons, Nick and Eli, and then uh, Sounders FC Fanatic. It's our local uh, MLS soccer team. Oh, got it, got it. That's what it was. Yeah, the soccer team. Very cool. So you big so- are they are they soccer players? Uh, they 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 are. Uh, and in fact, there's a match tonight that we'll go to. So it's a it's a big part of our family culture. That's good. All right, Tango Card. Tell us what it does and how you make money. Awesome. So there are there are about two million companies globally that use rewards and incentives in their business, and this can be for employee programs, customer acquisition, survey completion, loyalty, a whole range of things. Uh, and the common de- common denominator there is that these rewards or incentives drive some business result for these companies, and so. The, res- the, the rewards are typically uh, critical to their business, but not core to their business. So they partner with Tango Card to send out those rewards and incentives on their behalf. So they connect to Tango Card. Our enterprise customers connect to us usually with via an API. They see this great global catalog of digital rewards that we have. And then we send those out on a branded uh, email template typically. And then the way we make money is that each time we send one of those rewards, we make a margin uh, on those rewards. So it's a usage or a transaction-based model. So let's do a real example. Let's say I was signing up to use you and I was going to sign out these rewards. Like I see on your site, I can do like a gift card to Best Buy or an Amazon card. So let's say I want to say, hey, David, I'm putting 10,000 bucks through you. I want a bunch of $100 Amazon gift cards. Then what? What do you do? Exactly. So basically, it's very simple. We would uh, create an account you know, for uh, top entrepreneurs you would uh, fund that account for, say, $10,000 in your example. Uh, we would create a, a, a branded email that, that preserves your, uh, your brand and your image and your messaging. Uh, and then via uh, our API, you would basically just, uh, every time that you wanted to send out, a say, a $1 uh, gift card, whoever that's to, that would trigger a call in our API, and then we would send out that $1 gift card on your email template and then just reduce your account by that amount. How do they redeem uh, it? Well, in most cases, we're sending a specific uh, digital gift card. So this could be to Amazon or to iTunes or to Starbucks. The list you know, goes on. We've got uh, about 300 different digital uh, products, if you will, in our catalog. And so when you receive that gift card, there are two or three instructions that explain to you how to redeem that. So in the case of Amazon, if you already have an account, you just click a button and it binds that uh, Amazon gift card to your account. And you have that to spend at Amazon. That's interesting. Okay, and if I send out a $100 card through you, what percentage of that do you keep? 
there's a huge range based on the various folks we work with, but the average ends up being a little bit north of 6%. Okay, got it. So six bucks on 100 or, or whatever, 60 on, on 1,000. That's helpful to understand. And let me ask you a question. Do you see the same pattern that you see with per, like physical gift cards? In other words, how much uh, go un, uh, unclaimed? Yeah, you know, it's um, this is obviously a big issue in the in the gift card world. I think, you know, the if you if you kind of net it all out, there are, you know, probably four or five percent of of the value of a gift card, you know, ultimately does not get used. And this is what the industry calls breakage uh, or just unused value. Um, typically with the with the brands that we work with that I would say are kind of the, the better brands, the higher reputation brands, that number is extremely low. Um, so when you're getting a, uh, a gift card to a, uh, a merchant like an iTunes or a Starbucks or a, um, an Amazon, the vast majority of that value gets used. So typically the, the paper based or even the physical gift cards, uh, maybe even to a local restaurant uh, where those numbers can be quite a bit higher. It's very low on the types of gift cards that we work with. Got it. So give us some of the backstory here now that we understand the product. What year did you launch the company in? Yeah, so launched the company in late 2010. This was a couple years after I um, wrapped up at my last company that you mentioned, uh, Fiber Tower. And I just got really intrigued with uh, payments and specifically payments over uh, wireless networks. And really through the process of some research, uh, learned a lot about gift cards for both consumer and enterprise applications uh, and was surprised by the size of the industry, the fragmentation of the industry, and frankly, the opportunity to, uh, to innovate. Uh, so just spent a bunch of time and then launched the company in late 2010. Okay. And that first year, uh, did you guys do any revenue? Do you remember what year one revenue? Uh, well, so 2010 was zero or maybe a couple of dollars cause it was late, but 2011 was probably, I don't know, $70,000 or so of, you know, of revenue on this, in that. on this 6% model or was it different back then? No, I mean, the, the business, of course, has changed a little bit, but the core economics have, have, have been the same. That's great. Okay, good. And and what's the team size today? So the team is 80. We've got 70 people in Seattle, Washington, which is our headquarters. Uh, and then we've got uh, a 10-person uh, engineering team in Boise, Idaho. So I've created a um, basically an engineering outpost to try and help with some of the the challenges associated with recruiting talent and it's worked out. It's worked out fantastic. Which one are you in Seattle or Boise? Uh, Seattle, although I, you know, Boise is only a, an hour flight away. So I'm, you know, I, I'm there frequently, probably not frequently enough, but, but I, I go there from time to time. It's an awesome city and a cool location. And, and let's just call it spade a spade, cheaper developers. It's amazing. I mean, honestly, that was not the reason we, we did it. I mean, oh, it come really on, was. come on, David. Really? No, I mean, you know, from your interviews, I mean, the, 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 just the challenge of getting people in markets like Seattle and San Francisco, um, you mean it's retention. Yeah. Well, it's retention, but it's just getting them given, you know, in Seattle in particular, everyone has created an engineering outpost here. And so we created essentially our own engineering outpost in Boise with the goal of creating a team of maybe 20 or 25 over time. And to be totally transparent, it was not driven by cost. That is a result, but that's not why we did it. You just it. couldn't, you just literally couldn't do it in Seattle. You're competing with Microsoft and all the other tech players. Yeah. We just needed a predictable way to do it. And this has helped us uh, be predictable. That makes sense. Now, have you bootstrapped this thing or have you raised capital? No. So we've raised uh, $9.4 million of equity capital. The last, uh, the, the vast majority of that, about $7 million came in 2013 and 2014 from uh, Floodgate, which is a, a Bay Area-based venture firm and a firm called Firefly now, used to be Allegro Venture Partners. 
And then uh, actually in June of this year, we closed on a $10 million um, venture debt facility with a firm called WTI in Portola Valley. Why did you use them versus like something in between, like a lighter capital? Yeah, I mean, I think for us, it was it was pretty clear. They um, We had done a very early uh, 500K facility with them back in uh, maybe 2012. With lighter? Uh, no, 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 with WTI. Oh. Uh, and so as uh, following that, they were also an equity investor in the company. So we have a long history with, with their partnership, or their CEO. And given the size of the round uh, and frankly, the speed at which we could do it with them, it was, um, it was a pretty easy decision. So how does educate us? How does venture debt work? Yeah, I mean, venture debt obviously is quite a bit different than equity. But the way it works is uh, it's, a, it's a loan that you're required to pay back. And so you know, we have uh, the ability uh, to uh, take a total investment of $10 million, and then we pay an interest rate uh, on that back to WTI over the course of Is it high or is it in like 8% range? Uh, it's, it's slightly north of 8%, yes. Uh, and then we basically you know, pay that back over the course of about 36 months, both uh, principal and interest. And so the benefit, of course, is that um, there's no dilution uh, from an equity perspective taking that capital you're able to continue building value. But then the, the reality, if you want to call it that, is just that uh, you have to pay it back, where with equity, obviously, the expectation is that that, that payback comes to the form of, uh, of a higher equity value at the time of, uh, of an exit. Many of you know I am buying companies that I really, really like, and there's no quicker way for me to get to the bottom of what is happening on that website than using this tool called NathanLaka.com forward slash hot jar, H-O-T-J-A-R. It basically will give me a recording, okay? When anybody lands on the website, it'll give me a recording of where the viewer is scrolling and obviously does the basic stuff like heat maps too, but I learn so much about where the users are scrolling and clicking on my site using that tool. It helps me increase conversion rates, make more money and grow those businesses faster. And we'll have to see what happens with those businesses, but I'm buying them. I'm buying them very quick and I'm using nathanlaka.com forward slash hot jar for all of my website analytics. You can too. I work with them. It's totally free. You can go to nathanlatka.com forward slash hot jar. No credit card required. Again, use it as much as you want. nathanlatka.com forward slash hot jar. I'll see you there. Are you spending the majority of that money on new team, increasing total transaction volume from current customers, or onboarding brand new customers? Yeah, great question. So for us, it's three things. It's product expansion. Uh, it's expansion, both engineering uh, and sales as a result of that. And then we're really, uh, for the first time in our history, uh, looking at expanding outside of the U.S. So about 5% of our revenue is outside of the U.S. today. But about half of the $150 billion opportunity that we're looking at is outside of the U.S. And so there's plenty of room for growth in the U.S., but um, given just how long we've done this and the size of our team, we're starting to have some very tangible opportunities uh, outside of the U.S., which we'll be taking advantage of uh, soon. Yeah. And can you give us a sense of scale at this point? So in 2016, what was, I guess, you could maybe call it gross transaction volume, maybe? What did you process through your system? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll keep it at kind of a net revenue standpoint, if if, if, if you don't mind. But we did um, about 5.8 million of gap uh, net revenue in 2016, and we'll do a little bit over 10 this year. And if you look at the last 
four or five years, each year we're growing about 80% uh, a year. And, and when I, I just want to make sure I understand. So when you say net revenue, what you mean by that is you're not, it, the, you're not giving me the volume, which is fine, but that's the 6% part that you're taking. Exactly. So the gross transaction value is in the hundreds of millions, but everything we talk about internally and externally is in that that net revenue number. And and I was already thinking about that question when you said the number after 5.8. So what would you say you're going to do this year? Uh, a little bit north of 10. So about 10.2 gap, uh, gap revenue. Yeah. So, so, so what's the difference between gap revenue and, and net revenue? Well, it, it's the same. I just, I know that a lot of uh, uh, companies talk about, you know, ARR or run rate, et cetera. This is actual, you know, uh, cash cash revenue. So, you know, generally accepted accountable accounting principles, uh, revenue for the year, not run rate, et cetera. Is most of that growth from 5.8 to 10 million coming from current customers putting more through your platform or from new customers coming on? Great. Yeah. Great question. So, um, about, uh, 75% of our revenues this year are from existing customers, both, you know, and then 25% is kind of new, uh, you know, new in year and that, you know, that, that, those, those percentages changed a little bit for us, but they've been consistent in the last few years. Yeah, well, you almost doubled year over year, right? So if in this year, 75% is still coming from existing, there was significant expansion there. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and our churn is is probably about 1%, you know, 1%, maybe a little bit less than 1%. How do you measure that? Uh, How do you measure churn? Because you're not like a typical SaaS company where there's a, they stopped paying. You have to measure some usage metric. What do you consider churned? Yeah, so churn is literally if a program stops. And so the one of the cool things about our business is that, you know, because these are reward or incentive programs that have an expected business outcome, as long as they're working, they keep going. And so if a customer does not transact with us for, um, uh, I think it's three months, it's either three or six months, we consider that a churn. They don't send no at order. least one $100 Amazon gift card through you, it's churn. Exactly. And so the vast majority of our programs continue. I mean, we're, we're sub 1% churn uh, monthly. Monthly. Got it. Uh, let's logo, right? Yes. Yep. Um, very cool. How are you acquiring customers? Um, yeah, good, good question. So we have a, a 10 person sales team that does a combination of inbound and outbound, but about 70% um, of our uh, lead generation is through inbound leads. And just to give you an example of that, if you go type in gift card API, which is a very common way that a a product team or an engineering team would find us on Google or Bing, uh, Tango Card is most likely the the first company that will pop up. And so, you know, 70% of our leads are are inbound. And then the rest of it is a combination of outbound prospecting, conferences that we attend, uh, referrals from existing customers, that kind of thing. And that makes any sense. What do you, do you know? I mean, in your kind of business, I assume you have to kind of predict what the average customer is going to put through transaction volume wise, then take 6% of that to get LTV. So it's kind of more complex than a typical SaaS business, but what do you assume a customer is worth to you? And what are you willing to spend to get, get those guys? Yeah, it is a little bit more complex or, or at least just not as kind of predictable since we're not, you know, charging a certain amount per month. But the way it boils down for us is that about a thousand of our customers trans. So we have 2000 customers. About a thousand of those transact uh, with us every month. We generate about a thousand dollars a month uh, in actual net revenue uh, from those customers. And our cost each. to acquire each, and our cost to in in our our payback on customer acquisition is about six months. God, I love it when I have someone on who's listened to the show. They save me from asking all the questions. <laughs> well, I can I can predict a little bit because I'm uh, I'm a regular listener. Yeah, that's good. What did you say payback period was? 
It's about six months. Okay. So payback period is six months. So you're willing to spend up to about six grand to get those guys. Exactly. And of course you can imagine there's, there's a range, but yes, that's roughly how we think. Fascinating. Um, yeah, this is really interesting. And why? So how did you have confidence that your business model was going to be able to handle the debt payments, uh, which which meant you could obviously do that and not have to get diluted from a typical round? Yeah, I mean, it was obviously there's a there's a calculus. But I think the short answer is that, you know, we've been in business for seven years now. We've seen approximately 80 percent you know growth every year. We're starting to see the uh, you know, the um, we have incredibly low churn and we're just starting to see what we would consider um you know fairly predictable uh revenue streams so it gave me and you know and my cfo and the rest of the team confidence that that we could uh handle the debt payments you know and and uh and also just because we have experience with this investor and you know they're super sophisticated so they're able to look at our projections and help us kind of uh take the right risks what's the exit for this kind of company well, I think, um, you know, if you look at our, our industry, the conclusion would be that, um, you know, once a company like ours, you know, gets to scale, which we are, and also to profitability, there's a lot of, um, of, of fairly large M&A. Um, our, you know, our goal, let me, let me say it differently, I'm in no rush to kind of uh, get out. <laughs> and so, um, you know, multiple companies should become large enough to go uh, public. But the time frame for that is, you know, another five to six years. Um, but at least if you look historically at our industry, once companies like Tango Card uh, get to scale and become profitable, they get, uh, you know, they get acquired. Who, who's the biggest buyer in your space? Like name the just so I can tactically imagine that company. Yeah, I mean, you know, in our space, there are, uh, you know, companies uh, both, you know, domestically and internationally. I think, you know, the, 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 the largest kind of acquirer, uh, in our space historically has been Blackhawk, which is a, uh, a publicly traded company. And they've, uh, you know, acquired, I think seven or eight or nine companies, you know, in and around the space in the last four or five years, but there, there are many others. That's just the most, uh, that's just the most kind of obvious because they themselves are a public company. Makes good sense, David. Let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Uh, I, so I wouldn't say favorite, but I would say kind of most relevant for us, uh, you know, have really been, uh, predictable success and winning with data. Yep. Both, uh, both good ones. Number two, is there a CEO, uh, or leader you're following or studying? Yeah. So definitely, uh, kind of studying right now a little bit Ben Horowitz, the, the book, the hard thing about hard things is really, you know, a great book to be reading right now. Number three, what's your favorite online tool? Evernote. Evernote. Yep. Number four. How many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, the beauty of Fitbit. I know exactly what it is. So six hours a night and uh, eight hours once every 30 days. That's pretty <laughs> good. And and what's your situation? Married, single, do you have kids? Uh, married, uh, 48, uh, two kids, Nick and Eli. And married, 48 and two kids. So take us home, man. Take us back 28 years. What do you wish your 20 year old self knew? Yes. Uh, so this would definitely be more of a personal learning, but go the extra mile to maintain relationships and friendships. Uh, with people that you meet in other countries, which is hard to do. And it's a minor regret of mine. 
There you guys have it from David. Go the extra mile for those relationships, especially international ones. He founded Tango Card back many, many years ago, 2010. 2011 did about 70 grand in sales. Product-wise, check him out if you want to send out, you know, you know, every month gift cards to your, your highest use customers, or if you want to reward them, you know, a $10 Amazon gift card for demos. This is the kind of tool that can help you do that. They did about 5.8 million in net revenue in 2016. They'll do about 10 million in net revenue gap here in 2017. 75% of that revenue is coming from existing customers putting more gift cards or more spend through their platform. 25% comes from new customers. They've got sub 1% logo churn monthly, about 2,000 customers. They make about a grand each from per month. They've raised $9.4 million in equity funding in June 2017, did $10 million in venture debt so he could save some of that equity for himself. David Leeds, thank you for taking us to the top. Awesome. Thank you, man.